This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Favorite murder episode? What is it? Sixty-seven? Is it? I think so. Wow, so it's up there. We're pushing seventy, baby. Holy crap! I know that's kind of weird. Yeah, we're still kind of a baby, but we're not. We're like one of those old babies that's at New Year's <laughs> that you're like, should that baby still be breastfeeding? You're like, that baby shouldn't be up this late, <laughs> and it shouldn't be wearing a suit. No, no. Isn't it weird to see older babies with diapers? And I don't know how old babies are supposed to be when they stop wearing diapers. And you're like, is that not right? You mean the ones that are also wearing polo shirts? Like, then stand around with long hair drinking bottles like they run the place? Like adults? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, I met a girl today who met Ted Bundy's brother. Really? Yeah. She said that she grew up across, like in the town, but she was a lot younger. And she said that she was at a bar one time back home and her friend introduced her to this guy. And she was like, the whole time was like, Some- there's something about his face that looks familiar. And then she said, but he also had this like, in his eyes, this incredible look of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> and when he left, her friend was like, that's Ted Bundy's bro- little brother. Oh, wow. I know. That's crazy. I know. Can you imagine? Did he have a little brother? Well, maybe she was lying. I don't know. I mean, I, now I really, I, I'm the last person who would know for sure. And I did Ted Bundy on this show. Well, why would you know? But I mean, it doesn't stick with me. But I know he had an older sister that also was his mom. Right. I wonder if his little brother, if he had one, was his mom's sister. If it was same sis. Grandma. Right. Sister. If it was, if they figured that stuff out. In the Bundy family after Ted left. Right. Or, yeah, if it was. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Rabbit hole. Uh, I bet his last name wasn't Bundy. I think it was. Really? Yeah. So it was like, this is Peter, Mike Bundy. Peter, Mike Bundy. <laughs> Peter, Mike, or Greg Bundy. <laughs> the Bundy Bunch. Ah! <laughs> the Bundy Bunch. Come on, Karen. Let me say it one more time. So wait, you didn't when you said those three names, you didn't realize you were doing a Brady Bunch reference until until that moment. First two, I didn't. The Greg, I did. Then you caught up to yourself. Then and I was that's like, the moment of comedy. Is that it? That's the fun moment where you go. The comedy's writing itself. Oh, that's what that phrase means. It writes itself. Oh, it doesn't really. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to learn. <laughs> It reminds me of your awesome blossom moment on stage in Uh You'll all know what we're talking about later on. If we decide to post it. Oh, yeah. It's just always a secret. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite murder, by the by, <laughs> if anyone is unsure. Yeah. My favorite murder, that's Karen. I'm Georgia. We just got back from 
three shows in Portland that all are fucking awesome. Such a fun weekend. And um, thank you for the donuts. Thank you for the laughter and the screaming. Mm-hmm. Thank you for lots of good stories mm-hmm. and things to walk away from. Revolution Hall was such a fun place to perform. Um, in case so- we don't post it, can you tell the con- the story of the army crawl? Yes. <laughs> so let's see. That was the second night? I think so. No, no, no. It was the first night, second show. Okay, yes. First night, second show. So second show, yeah. Um, we were at the end, and I had picked a girl to do her hometown murder. Right, we called someone up from the audience. And she was telling this story about how her cousin found a dead body. And uh, it was immediately my favorite story we've had so far, because yeah. it was all the things that I enjoy, which is her cousin happening upon a dead body in a creek, come to find out that's the dead body of a a rapist and kidnapper, perhaps murderer, who was on the lam. So we were happy about him being dead, so it didn't feel gross. Yeah, no guilt about the body, about the finding of the body or the uh, discussion of the finding of the body. And as this girl is telling the story, she tells the whole story of the crime he did right before he went on the lam Mm -hmm. and then somehow died in the creek. They don't know. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, she, I asked a specific question about, did your cousin tell you anything about what it felt like to find the body or touch the body or whatever? And she said she didn't know. And then they went, uh, Georgia said something. They went on to talking. I look over Georgia's shoulder and there is a girl, um, Elmer Fudd style sneaking (laughs) down the aisle. Not the aisle. On stage. No, no, no. She, I watched her come up the aisle sneaking like a cartoon with her shoulders up and her knees raised high. Sneaking. And then she does an army roll onto the stage. (laughs) And that's when I, interrupt the two of them and, and then i across. saw before this happened i saw karen's face over my shoulder and it was like i got chills just looking at your face because you looked like horrified yeah and i slowly turn around in slow motion there's a girl walking towards us on yes. stage and i say that's not cool you have to get off the stage yeah, right now went straight up to her i was just like because i'm thinking just drunk you know the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. beers at revolution hall were three dollars yes. people were definitely partying it was a second show it was a bit Late rowdy night, yeah. um but she finally explains that she is the girl telling the story's sister. Yeah. I want to say that girl's name was Nicole, but I don't remember. <laughs> no idea. There's no way. Um, finally, we realized she's okay to be there. And the only reason she came up on stage was because she knew the answer to the question I was asking. In sister fashion, she needed to correct her sister. Yes. And her it, sister was doing something wrong. Correct and add. Right. Uh, but, and then gave us great additional yeah. information. And then it turned out to be the greatest hometown. Yeah two-parter double sister storytelling yeah but then the next night too another sister came up that was weird yes that was super weird that it was just like fine it was sisters backing up sisters weekend all weekend in portland it was great um it was so much fun everybody was so great yeah it really added yeah mm-hmm. thank you portland um so oh, much- i have a corrections corner oh <laughs> karen yes I have to apologize. Hobo is an absolutely okay word to <laughs> yeah, say. It is, huh? And it doesn't mean anything derogatory. It's right. just a, what is it called? You know, and uh, it's <laughs> the thing. And you're, it's a snip snap? It's a snip snap and everything's fine. Uh, were you thinking of bum? Because I a couple was, people suggested that. I probably was putting them together. I just, in my mind though, still like walking by a homeless person and saying, 
Look at that hobo. Just sounds so. Maybe it's just the way it sounds in my head. You know what I mean? Yes, it's it's contextual and interpretive, but the word itself is not from like. Yeah, and I corrected you you so hard, and I'm sorry. Oh, thank you for apologizing. That's very very nice of you. Um, I found out. Do you know? And this is very separate, but it's this reminds me of it because none of us want to be an asshole. No, or talk about people asshole style. And I'm still. I think this podcast has made me even more aware of like everything about that oh yeah okay yeah we hear about it all the time all the time um did you know that the when you call the sprinkles that you put on top of a sunday jimmies that that's racist i would never use that word i never knew yeah. it i always called them that well, I, I always called them that it do, i think it's, it's racist yeah i think that a lot of things i just assume are racist <laughs> and this sound bad like that why, why does it sound bad I, because I think I've heard before what the oh um, okay what's the background called? I it might be like sh- like a like a nicknamey thing yeah. for Jim Crow. Oh, because they're chocolate. Oh, so it's once someone explained it to me, I said it out loud somewhere, <gasps> and someone turned around and was like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" Isn't it weird when people like you didn't know that one, but when people say a word that you're like, "Are you ki-? like the R word for people who are uh, mentally?" Challenged, challenged, yes. yes. That people that I know that live in California, like Los Angeles, have I've heard people say that word, and I'm like, how the fuck do you not know that you yeah. don't use that word? It's got to feel bad. Yeah. Um, there was a really good PSA video that was put out about using the R word really? that I really loved. It was back. It was when I was still on Facebook, so it was like at least five years ago or six <laughs> years ago. I know I'm, it's a brag. I'll bring it up anytime I can. I'm no longer. <laughs> well, on I still Facebook. don't. I still call Starbucks coffee small, medium, or large. So <laughs> I think you and I are in the same. But you totally made fun of me on the live show, which I was like, fair. You I sound were, like I'm on you friends. You went into that bit, and I'm like, I can't it let you. Wasn't a bit. Though. I can't let you. But even it just even as a even as a discussion. No, I know. I'm not going to let you do it. It's like if I called coffee Java. <laughs> be like, shut the fuck well, up. no, it's as if you were like airplane food is small. It was that but style. I totally wasn't making a joke. I was just really angry about it. But mm. yes, completely. Yeah. Anyways, go on. Anyhow. PSA. No, no, just, uh, you know. No, no, it's you, the, you were talking about a PSA. No, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, it's, it's that kind of thing of if, if, if it feels bad, don't do it. And you know it feels bad when you, because you're never not using that in a anything but a derogatory way. Right. And it was in a movie the other, yesterday I was just, I was so tired, just laying they're watching TV all day long. And there was this terrible movie came on. And at one point in the movie, and it was from the early 2000s, this girl says it. She's just like, that's so retarded. And it was, <gasps> it sounded so bad. It just, yeah. people don't really do it anymore. Yeah. At least, at least not in movies. At least and not I, in Los Angeles. I mean, all those words, I think, you know. Well, that's the thing. As certain people, parts of the country, it's not even known. But that's maybe. just naive. Well, and it's also the thing people fight because they're like, oh, the social justice or whatever, where it's yeah. like, or just don't insult people if you don't need to. Yeah. Why like, want, I don't why mean do you want to. slang and it's like, then you don't need it. Right. You don't need it. Yeah. There's so many words. It's about the exploration and use of words. Yeah. I mean, man, the world, I could say some words that are horrifying that I love saying. Like cunt. <laughs> yeah. You can say that. <laughs> I know. I had um, a t-shirt that I bought 
when I lived, like when I was in my twenties, early twenties that had, it looked like the Coke logo, but it said Kant instead. <laughs> and I wore it one day oh and God. was so self-conscious and freaked out <gasps> by every, cause I of course got 1000 dirty looks and whatever oh for God. it, but I never wore it again. I'm now blushing that I said that word. <laughs> like that's how bad I am at this. But over uh, in jolly old England, they say it, it's like saying jerk, right? It's Twat. no big deal. Should I say twat now? No, you should not never say that okay. word. I fucking hate the word twat. I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually say it. It's very 70s. Yeah. Speaking of England, we, we're allowed to tease. <laughs> Speaking of England. <laughs> you didn't like that? What is it called? <laughs> that segue? Segue. I was going to call it sequitur, but it's not segue. <laughs> that we're allowed to tease that we're going across the seas. Yes. Hello, London. And is it Ireland? Ireland. And They're going to ban you now that you said it like that. Uh, no. That was actually really good. Oh, because you live there, right? <laughs> no, that was Scotland. Whatever. No, but but it, that's me. where we're going, right? Uh, I it's think... it's London. A couple. We have a couple shows in England. Mm-hmm. This is the tease. It's very teasy because we don't know what we're talking about. No. A couple shows in England, a show in Ireland. And a couple shows in Australia. Yes. And New Zealand. I mean. We get to go to New Zealand. Fuck yeah. We're kind of just like, we don't know if we have any listeners there, but we just really want to go to New Zealand. We want to see what it looks like. Yeah. That's <gasps> oh, going to be fun. So yeah. try to, if you're in New Zealand and you like this podcast, will you get a couple of your friends yeah. to like it so that we have at least 50 people at our show? That'd be great. That's the dream. The dream is 50. And if you need to bring farm animals or children, that's fine. <laughs> we just need to fill up whatever your local church hall is. Please. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going cross international. We're we're like Pitbull. We're becoming international. Um, like summertime. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Summer or fall? I think so. I think or summer in the. Anyway, you'll hear more about it, yeah. and it'll be this vague when you hear about <laughs> it again. Yeah. So don't don't expect to get tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what else? Anything? You got any corrections? I feel um, like it's been so long since we podcasted because we've been doing live shows. Yes. And it's my fault. Oh. I, <laughs> I made the terrible mistake of, I forget that this is a weekly podcast we have to do. <laughs> so Georgia, this was hilarious. I went left to do, um, a great comedy show with Julian McCullough, his podcast, Julian Loves Music at a casino in, out, an hour outside of Tulsa. We did a comedy show and his live podcast. And while I was there, Georgia texted me, Hey, so tomorrow, do you want to get together and do to do and do to do? And I was like, I'm in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be gone for the rest of the week. And I'm just permanently gone. And it was like that realization of like, Oh yeah, I have to, this happens every week. <laughs> I need to catch up with what the reality of my life is. Yeah. Well, yeah. It happened. Can't just leave. No, I can fuck up and, and I can have an excuse and get out of it. So I'm going to fuck up bad. Yeah, you got, well, you got a free one now. You got a freebie. Yeah. Right as I'm about to go like, what the? And then you're going to be like, Tulsa? Yeah. And I'll be like, we'll have a nice handshake. Handshake. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Sorry I burnt down your house. (laughs) Look, I'm sorry that I love arson. Tulsa. Okay. (laughs) Do you go first or do I? I think we should start over because do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Well, I went first last time. Did you? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The live show. I mean, don't we have to follow just how we're doing it as opposed to what airs? I don't know. I think that's what we should do. It's for us. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. And I don't think we care that much. I don't care. Okay, great. 
No. I'm, Wait, now you're mad? No. I'm like, why do I care? <laughs> like, why have I been? Well, it used to matter. Did it? Well, when we were like back to back. That's true. All right. It felt like. So I just finished listening to this book called The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock, which is a really fucking great book. A bunch of different stories of other people and they're all, um, you know, intertwined somehow, which I love. And this one had um, a husband wife murder team. Whoa. Which I know we've talked about and neither of us kind of are that interested in it or like that's not our first pick and it's just, it's so weird and creepy. So I'm doing one. Okay. <laughs> You're going outside your comfort zone yeah. of cold cases and yeah. uh, le- lesser known cases. That's your passion. And fam- unsolved familiacide. I mean. <laughs> that's your jam. That's my jam. But and- now you're you're taking a stretch. And speaking of England again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> remember how we keep speaking of England? Yes. <laughs> uh, this is the Moore's murders. Okay. So, 1961. 18-year-old typist Myra Henley meets Ian Brady. Ian uh, was born in Glasgow in a slum on January 2nd, 1938 to a single mother named Peggy. And when he's four months old, she fucking advertises him for adoption in a newsagent's shop window. Oh, man. There's a lot of words in here that I normally wouldn't use, and they're English. Like newsagent? Like newsagent and shop shop window. window. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure it's advertisement, not advertise. (laughs) Peggy visits him um, at his foster family regularly until he becomes a teenager without letting him know that that's his mom. What? You know. Um, but I guess his foster family is good. good. Yeah. So, but he still uh, has extreme temper tantrums and they end with him banging his head on the floor, Ooh. which has got to be cool to see a toddler doing that. <laughs> um, and despite, despite being exceptionally bright, he did poorly in school. Socially awkward, considered a, quote, sissy at sports. Um, and he's cruel to animals pretty quickly. And it ranged from, quote, stoning dogs, decapitating rabbits. And on one, nope, I can't read that. Um, it's about cat. Mm-hmm. He later tells um, Myra, his later girlfriend, that he killed his first cat when he was 10 years old. Like a, that was a brag for him. That's like yeah. first date chit chat for him. Yeah, huh. it gets worse. Okay. At 13, Ian had his first, uh, was charged with house breaking, house breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, as a teenager, he developed. <laughs> she t- he taught a whole house how to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> as a teenager, he developed a fascination with the writings of Nietzsche and with Nazism. Red flag. Yeah. In 1959, uh, he learns bookkeeping in prison and he gets a job uh, as a stock clerk and he buys his own audio recording equipment and he transfers Hitler's speeches onto vinyl records. Oh, like as a pastime? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Sounds fun. That's yeah. He sounds like a real a real hoot. Yeah. Go getter. <laughs> OK. In 1961, a new secretary starts at his work named Myra Henley. Um, on their first date, Ian takes her to see a movie about the Nuremberg trials. So that's their first date. <laughs> Jesus. Not, uh, not Nietzsche and Nazism. Yeah. I mean, yes, Nazism. So a guy's like, would you like to go to the movies with me? And you're like, sure, that's cool. Yeah. And he's like kind of cute and has like fifties slicked back hair. He's older. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like the cool guy at, at the office. He's got strong opinions. Right. He's not like the boys at school who don't 
like Nazism. Yeah, he's got his arm up in the air a lot, just like what you're looking for. And then you meet at the movie theater and it's the fucking Nuremberg trials. Yeah, super chill. Uh, da, 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 da. After they start dating, they read each other books about Nazi atrocities on their lunch break. He, Hinley, she starts to alter her appearance to replicate the Aryan ideal, bleaching her hair blonde and wearing red lipstick. And so Ian's really grooming her uh, to become subservient. And they start discussing committing crimes together, um, like robberies that would make them rich. But ultimately, they decide that murder was more their style. Mm, nice. Fun. Ian outlines a plan where Myra would wear a disguise. They'd abduct a child and take it to the Moors where they would rape and murder and bury it there. And in 1963, they took their first victim. Sorry. So in that discussion, it's hard enough to meet someone yeah. that you really get along with. Hey, how many siblings do you have? Um, I just have one older sister. Do you want to murder children with me? Oh my God. I've been dreaming of that since I was young. Oh my God. How young? Uh, since I was a child. <laughs> oh. Um, that's the, what a risk. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Is you really, I guess the Nuremberg trials was really the test. Yeah. Of like, is she going to go with this? Yeah. If you cry when a bunch of Nazis are being hung, hanged. Probably both. Then you know that, right? You know you found the one. You found the one. <laughs> also, I have seen Myra Henley's mugshot. Yeah, as a blonde. Yeah, with that lipstick on. Yeah. How do you feel about it? She was. She was definitely a fall winter. Let's just say it that way. <laughs> she was definitely Ooh. not a blonde. No, it's, it's not complimentary to her face. I mean, I had bleached blonde hair once, and it didn't look good, and I knew it immediately. Yeah. And I wouldn't have done it for a guy. What? What did you do? I also it for? wouldn't have killed anyone. <laughs> children. Children. Tr children in the Moors. Okay. Uh, in 1963, in July, for their first victim, um, Ian tells Meyer to drive her van around the area, local area, while he follows behind on his motorcycle. And when he sees a victim that he wants, he wants, he's going to flash his headlights at her, signaling her to stop over and offer that person a, a ride. So they see a young girl walking towards them and um, Ian signals her to stop. She doesn't do until they pass her. And Brady's like, what the fuck? And she's like, I know that girl. Uh, I don't want to take her. So instead, at 8 p.m., Ian spots 16-year-old Pauline Reed on her way to a dance. And Pauline is a neighbor of um, Hinley's, who's a friend of her younger sister, Maureen. So uh, she was okay with getting into the van with Hinley, who then asked if she would mind helping to search for an expensive glove she had lost on Saddlemore, Saddleworth Moor on a tract of open oh wait then <laughs> on, on saddle worth more and then i was like you know what i didn't know what a more was aside from photos nice so i thought i'd explain to people what it was it's basically just an open big open uncultivated field like picture where you know british people go shooting <laughs> and bury bodies <laughs> yes it's yeah. like a rocky hilly open grasslandy situation for miles and miles miles and miles yeah um so she wanted her to come find her glove with her and Pauline says she's in no hurry and agrees when they get to the moor, um, 
Brady arrives shortly afterwards on her motorcycle and Henley introduces him to Reed as her boyfriend and that he'd also come to find the glove. And uh, then Henley claims that Brady took Reed into the moor while Henley just hung out in the van. Hmm. After about 30 minutes, Brady comes back alone and takes her back to the spot where Reed lay dying. Her throat had been cut with a large knife and the collar of her coat had been pushed into the wound, which sounds so horrific. He tells uh, Henley to stay with Reed while he goes and gets a spade that he had hidden nearby on a previous visit to bury the body. So um, he, Henley notices that Pauline's coat is undone and her clothes were in disarray, guessing that she had uh, been sexually assaulted. I mean, she claimed she wasn't there witnessing it, but let's yeah. fucking come on now. Right. Um. And da, 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 da. But Henley later claims that she assisted him with the sexual assault. Uh, so and she turned on that story. Uh, he says it's incorrect. Oh, oh. Am I getting their names wrong? Sorry, I, I that would be in character. Got it. <laughs> I, I see now. So basically, she says I wasn't there. And later on, he's like, oh, no, she was there and helped me out. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay, then on then the early evening, November 23rd, 1963, uh, she uh, approaches... Uh, sorry, Myra approaches a 12-year-old boy named John Kilbride at a market in Lancashire and offers him a lift home on the pretext that his parents would be worried about him for being out so late and offers him also a bottle of sherry. And he, as 12 years old, is like, hell yeah. (laughs) Um, But then they're like, well, we have to go make a detour to collect it. And that also we need help finding a glove and a moor. So he's like, okay. And then when they get to the moor, Brady takes the child and again, Henley says she waits in the car while uh, Brady sexually assaults Kilbride and attempts to slit his throat with a six inch serrated blade before fatally strangling him with a piece of string. So this guy's just a fucking animal. Animal, monster, psychopath. Okay. Then in the early evening of June 16th, 1964. So this all happens within a couple of years, two years. Then in the early evening of June 1964, 12-year-old Keith Bennett is on his way to his grandma's house in Manchester when Henley lures him into her mini pickup, which Brady was sitting in the back of, asking if he'd help load some boxes. And then she said she'd drive him home afterwards. So she goes to the moor again. um, And again, (laughs) those boxes out on the moor. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I have to move from the moor. Hey, little 12 year old kid. I need help carrying some heavy shit. Ding, ding, ding. The ultimate red flag. If she don't ask. Adults will not ask you for help. That's right. Children. Yes. Um, Also, don't walk around your goddamn town by yourself all the time. I mean, not that that ever, ever happens anymore. No, never. Uh, 30 minutes later, Brady comes back alone. And when Hinley supposedly asks how he had killed Bennett, he says that he had sexually assaulted him and strangled him again with a piece of string. And they buried him out on the moor. On December 26, 1964, Brady and Hinley visit a fairground in search of another victim. And they notice 10 year old Leslie Ann Downey standing beside one of the rides. When it becomes apparent that she's alone, they approach her and deliberately drop something from their shopping cart close by her and ask her for help carrying the packages to the car. What a sweet angel. She's 10 and she's like, yes, I'll help you. She's at the carnival alone. Yes, I'm at a carnival alone and I'll help these two adults. And they're, 
like this is why it's so creepy is it's a man and a woman yes. and in your mind you're never you know like if you were hitchhiking and a couple stopped for you a man and a woman yep you feel safe yes that's right it's the old trick of having a woman there it's so creepy it's the worst and also with little kids it's yeah. it's so unfair it's just like it it goes against everything your it's instincts would tell you a huge trick do you think that women it's more horrifying for women to kill children than for men like it's i feel like is it I feel equally horrified at every right. story that I hear of people that think it's okay to kill children or yeah. it like that need the like a compulsion to kill children. There's some, yeah, just fucking end it because like, there's something so wrong with you. I feel like what horrifies me more than the compulsion is the like be, is being okay with it. It's not even like, like she might not have had a compulsion to kill children, but she went along with it anyways. Yes. So that to me is even more depraved because. It's not even this like addiction that you have. She was doing it for her fucking boyfriend. Totally. Which is the, I mean, you've known people are like, now I'm into swing dancing and you're like, that's so lame, but you never say anything. (laughs) Right. This is like, Like she'll get over it. Just, yeah, exactly. Just like, we'll wait for this one to wind out and you'll hate him in eight months or whatever. But now this is like, it's very extreme. I I bought a Vespa for a boy when I was, (laughs) listen, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I thought it looked cute and I liked it, but I got it so that he would think i was cool yeah yeah and i hated it i uh what'd you do proudly i can say that the first bad experience that i had with a guy that was like that was someone who was secretly born again christian and then after we got together like unveiled (gasps) that really he just wanted me to say the seven magic words that would um enable me to go to heaven when i died what are those magic words i accept jesus christ as my personal savior you just said him Oh, well, yeah, I'm in. I was already in. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Catholic upbringing. Was there like red flag? Like, like, was there looking back when you were dating, like obvious things? Well, it was very short. So we were friends first. Everybody that I was friend, we had like this small group of friends and all the girls were in love with him. And then it was like, he picked me. Oh my God. And you're like, I'm so special. Exactly. And then uh, like a week later, he was like, I just need you to say these words and then come to my church with me. And then I don't really want to date you, but I need you to go to this church. You get a gold star. It was, yeah, seriously. It's like, did you get some kind of kickback for bringing me to yeah, a dumb fucking church? Yeah, how many did you collect? And that's when I was like, oh, this is, this is like pathetically not anything I thought it was. Yeah, but if you were like this fucking idiot, you would have been a Christian. <laughs> exactly. So, but I feel like I learned early the worst kind of most painful way of like, oh, the ulterior motive thing, like the second it comes out where it's even now, even if it's like, do you like Star Wars? I'm like, goodbye. <gasps> you fucking tricked me. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> oh my God. You tried like to you get better to join your I, thing. You got to like, it all has to come out immediately or else you don't trust them. That's right. <laughs> or I just don't trust them anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, we'll talk about how I'm alone later. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have all the trust issues in the world. <laughs> don't even any who. Blah, 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 carry some packages. Then um, she, they needed to help carrying them into her house, into their house. So once inside the house, um, this sweet little girl is undressed. This is fucked up. Undressed, gagged, and forced to pose for photos Ugh. before being raped and killed. And Brady again states that it was Henley who killed Leslie Ann Downey. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Ian states that it's actually the Myra mm-hmm. who killed Leslie Ann Downey, but of course she says it wasn't, that she was running a bath for her and come back, came back and she was dead, which is like, fuck you. You know, 
here's the thing. Whatever the truth really is, it doesn't matter. Because at this yeah. point, you could have been sitting at home waiting for him to come back from the moors. You are complicit, which means you might as well have been standing next to him, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, I agree. I, I now want to think the worst of you yeah. if you are involved in this at all. Yeah. It's not like it gets you off the hook somehow. Right. Um, the next morning, they take her body to Saddleworth Moor and is buried in a shallow grave. Mm. Okay, so towards the end, we're getting towards the end. On the evening of October 6th, 1965, they go to the Manchester Central Railway Station and um, Ian picks up a guy, a 17-year-old guy named Edward Evans, and he introduces Myra as his sister. They drive back home. They're drinking a bottle of wine together, and Ian sends Myra to fetch her brother-in-law. Fetch her brother-in-law. <laughs> when they get back to the house, um, Myra tells her brother-in-law that uh, to wait outside. It's really weird. So basically, the brother-in-law, who is uh, Myra's sister's husband, is kind of a small-time crook. Mm. And the whole year, Ian has kind of been cultivating this friendship and, like, grooming him to help him with his crimes. Oh. And it's said that Smith is David Smith is in awe of Ian. And uh, basically, they kill this guy, Ian Evans, and try to get David Smith to go along with it. Although he doesn't, he says he'll come back the next day to help bury the body. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Um, and <laughs> so sorry, he doesn't want to be for there for the murder. He's all good with the burial, though. Well, here's the thing. So he says he was in the kitchen and didn't know what happened. Oh. But what, what comes out of this either way is that when um, David Smith gets home to Myra's sister, he tells her what happens. And they're both like, let's go call the fucking cops. Oh, good. Yeah. Like, can you imagine calling cops on your sister like that? <sighs> but also, was she always like this beast sister? I'm sure. Right? Yeah. Because, yes. yeah, she must have been a sociopath to totally. be just com- serial killing children. And she probably she probably suspects something is happening between them. They're being weird and secretive. They're and creepy. Nazis. Nazis. A lot of Nazi behavior. Yeah. Never a good, n- never yeah. a good sign. Never. So they call the police from a nearby phone box. <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm not going to change them. I'm just going to keep saying them. But they bring a <laughs> screwdriver and a knife just in case Brady shows up. Oh, fuck. Can you imagine to the phone box? Yeah. <laughs> to the phone box. Can you imagine that scared that like the boogeyman's just going to be like, hey. Yes. Yes. I mean, once you realize that that's what's happening. Oh. Yeah, totally. So, but they don't even know that he's like, they thought maybe he just killed this dude that they were trying to fuck. Like, they don't even know that he's a child killer yet. Jesus Christ. Then, um, so the, on the morning, uh, the next morning, Superintendent Bob Talbot of the Cheshire Police arrive at the back door. He's wearing a bar of Baker's overalls to cover his uniform, so she'll open the door. Nice. Um, and he says his police officer comes in and that Ian is hanging out in the living room. He says he's investigating an act of violence involving guns. And, uh, let's see, looks around the house. There's a room that's locked. He goes into the room. Um, and when they come back, they say that they discovered a trussed up body and that he was being arrested on suspicion of murder. And, uh, he's claiming it was self-defense that they had gotten in a fight. Sorry, the trussed up body is the 17 year old. Yeah. And he's saying we got in a fight and it got out of hand. So we had to keep the body in a room. Right. And we were going to bury it. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. I thought you were going to say they found a room full of gloves. (laughs) Right. Hidden (laughs) gloves that they had found. Just stacked, stacked to the ceiling. Oh no. So Myra's not arrested with Ian, but she's questioned and she refuses to make any statement. She says it was an accident. They didn't have any evidence that she's involved. So she goes home and then uh, Ian's charged with an accessory. Oh, no, no, no. Then October 11th, Myra's charged with an accessory to the murder of the 17 year old Ian Evan Edwards. Um, and then they request a search of all Manchester's left luggage offices for any suitcases that belong to Ian Brady. And on October 15th, they find a suitcase that belongs to him. And inside were nine pornographic photos taken of a young girl naked and with scarf tied around her mouth and a 13 minute tape recording of her screaming and pleading for help. Oh God. And Ann Downey, Leslie Ann Downey's mom listens to the fucking tape. Can you fucking oh, imagine? Man. That's John Walsh. 
action. Right. That's fucked up. What What did he do? He looked at he, photos of bodies. Right? No, he listened to an audio tape of a little kid getting murdered to find out if it was Adam. Oh my God. Adam, right? His son yeah. was Adam. Uh, and was and it? it wasn't. Oh, so he just yeah. That's the worst thing of all time. I'm just nauseous thinking about that. It's horrible. So she says it's definitely her ten year old daughter, and then. The police are searching their house and find an old uh, school book that has John Kilbride's name in it, the 12-year-old who went missing. They also find a large collection of photos of uh, in the house, which seem to be taken on Saddleworth Moor. So they fucking go there and start searching the moor. And on October 16th, police find an arm bone sticking out of the peat that the body that was the body of Leslie and Downey. Can you imagine a fucking arm bone sticking out of the peat? It's you're just it's just a big wide open field of gray grass, gray low grass and brambles. I think mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and then you're just trying to walk it, and then there's just an arm and bone. Then arm bone. Ooh, another sight. On the opposite side, they found the badly decomposed body of John Kilbride, and then the search is called off in November because of the weather. So Brady's charged with the murder of Evan Edwards, 17-year-old John Kilbride and Leslie on Downey and Myra Henley with the murder of Evan Edwards and Leslie on Downey. They plead not guilty to the charges that on May 6th, uh, deliberating for two hours, the jury finds Brady guilty of all three murders and Henley guilty of the murders of the two people. They uh, Brady sentenced to three life sentences and Henley was given two. Um, on February 2nd, 1987, Myra made a formal confession to the police admitting her involvement in all five murders. Wow. On July 1st, 1987, uh, Reed's body is discovered only a hundred, hundred yards from the place where Leslie and Downey had been found. Uh, Keith Bennett's body has still never been found and his family continues to search the moor. Uh, on November 15th, 2002, at age 60, Myra died from, uh, bronch, bronchial mm-hmm. pneumonia caused by heart disease and he's still motherfucking alive whoa really i'm almost positive wow oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy that you know people have been asking us to do these guys for a while i know and that's i wouldn't awesome. have if i hadn't listened to this book just because you know yeah but i did it it's so good i mean they're yeah they're there's like one of the earliest team creeps i feel like back then it's so you know you have this small town and children and people are going missing and you just don't put it together because that didn't happen back then whereas now it's like you wouldn't be like a 12 year old's gone they're a runaway yeah because that just was unthinkable and i think when you switch between boys and girls it's also like kind of a way to throw off police yes and ages it was like a 12 year old boy you know, 16 year old girl, like it was kind of all over the map in terms of probably how they were thinking. Totally. And also just the fact that she, that one girl was her little sister's friend. I know. Is so fucking evil. It's crazy. It's Why just would- like, yeah, the, the trust aspect. And then also the other way of Myra, you're so into your boyfriend that you're, you are now like, his right hand man. Yeah. Which she argues is like, no, he had brainwashed me and I was under his command and all this shit. And he groomed me to be his, which is like, maybe. No. Yeah. But only to an extent. I mean, yeah, that could be true, but I don't think that that's an excuse for what you did. 
it's you know here's the thing whether it's true or not you still did it totally that's the problem i mean at any point you could have run away and called the police yeah because did she aside from brainwashing did she claim he was abusive or anything it sounds like they were like we're stoked nazis that are into killing of that of being abusive and i i bet that if she hadn't died she would have been let out of prison at some point yeah because she was so old yeah because yeah yeah, because yeah well she would have that's like the um uh paul bernardo and and carla homolka she got out of prison she's out of prison now i bet she would have gotten out yeah i bet she would have oh that's so creepy so creepy so crazy um cool so that is the more murders. They are what last podcast on the left calls heavy hitters. Ooh. They're like famous, big famous ones. That's good. Um, mine is the opposite of that. Mine is, I went a Georgia Hardstock style. And What'd you call me? The- <laughs> did you say Hardstock? No, Stark. Oh. Stark, but my mouth did a weird thing at the end, <laughs> which it does sometimes. <laughs> it's my new thing. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, thank you. I Go. sound like I'm slurring, but I have been sober for quite some time. <laughs> The or at least I should specify oh, right, don't right. drink right there's some people who are like your sobriety means a lot to me and then I'm like well I stopped drinking in 1997 yeah. Yeah. but I am definitely on meth <laughs> um, just keep it in mind everybody uh, <laughs> okay so when we were in Portland I did the thing that you were just talking about where um, we had three shows we had three murders I only learned that we had a third show or at least was reminded we had a third show like the night the day of the first no. day I was there Steven texted me and he was like I said so I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and he goes okay and what's your third one and I was and I just wrote back no 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 on Saturday no Friday okay yeah oh my god or maybe it was Thursday it was late for me because I was like are you kidding yeah. me I have to do a whole nother one yeah no, that's like, man, we need you and I. I'm not saying you. I'm not saying we need to get our shit together with traveling because yes. there has not been a fucking day when we're traveling that I am not scrambling. Yes. What no, is it about do. us? We just I think you and I both just work better when we're under pressure. That's usually most writers are like that and are and are so scared of failing and dread work so much that you put it off to the last minute. Well, because and I, I will say this for myself. Typing is not writing. So oh. you, when you write it, for things like this, it is reading and kind of processing and figuring out a way you're going to tell a story. Right. The problem is that if you do it last minute, you're then you're just read you're reading something you cut and paste as opposed yeah. to telling a good story. And there's no personality in it. Exactly. And so, <laughs> but I'm weird. I'm like when I sorry whatever. No, no. When I get it, when I sit down and start working on the story that I like, I'm so happy and I'm so stoked and it's like my favorite part of the week. Yes. But getting to that spot is so fucking hard for me. It's the bridge. It's the bridge to doing it that's the hardest. Yeah. That's when I start doing a lot of laundry. <laughs> I start wiping down surfaces See, that I are already clean. I have, I don't do anything. Oh, <laughs> you just sit there frozen? <laughs> yes. So, okay. So here's the thing in my panic yeah. of going third murder, yeah. I start working on this fucking guy. But he killed so many people across the nation that he didn't feel like a Portland killer to me. Okay. Um, and I was very angry at him. <laughs> uh, but luckily, he's still there for me because the second we, be- we get back, we have to record again. And so right. I was like, well, I'm going to go back. He supports you. That's right. Earl Leonard Nelson, the gorilla killer. <gasps> have you ever heard of him? No. All right. Does he kill gorillas? That's no, stupid. that's the thing. That's the dumbest it's joke. The worst. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's the dumbest name. Um, what a bummer. Was he like, oh, man. 
Oh, that's so insulting. Well, I've read, so this is one of those ones. I should say Murderpedia is one of my favorite websites. It is an aggregate site where they just, they bring you all the articles and anything written about the killer you've looked up. It's not like Wikipedia where it's like, here is this paragraph by paragraph of what happened. It's like, here's an article from 2006. Here's one from 1967. Yes, it's the best. But you also then in reading all the articles about the one person realize how this guy, it was like, he was called the gorilla killer because of his features. He was called the gorilla killer because he used to walk on his hands. He was called the gorilla killer because it took so much strength to kill these women and he rarely used a weapon. He killed them with his hands, whatever. Yeah. It's that kind of situation. But still, all that being said, um, Murderpedia works like Wikipedia. So if you use it or like it, I recommend you give them five bucks mm. because I want it to exist always because mm-hmm. it's such a great site to for um research for this it makes my life so much easier Me too. okay earl nelson the gorilla killer not like that when you think of crimes of the early 20th century yes karen <laughs> which i do all the time you think the Lindbergh baby kidnapping and murder you think al capone and elliot ness and the mafia crimes of prohibition oops you think of leopold and Loeb, but Meanwhile, while all of those things were happening, um, the first known American serial sex killer was on a rampage. <gasps> and nobody knows about it. Or few people do. The um, Bay Area newspapers, because he started in the San Francisco Bay Area, called mm-hmm. him the Dark Strangler because of That's his ability. So much better. Yeah, I know, right? Because he could slip in and out of uh, these houses um, without being seen, sometimes in broad daylight. Oh my God. And later on, he was called the gorilla killer because he murdered women with his bare hands. But it turns out he was just plain old psychotic Earl Leonard Nelson. So Earl Nelson's mother and father both died of syphilis before he reached the age of two. Oof. Yeah. That's a rough start. That's just your kickoff. That's just downhill. Yeah. It, that's like the bottom of the hill. And then you keep on going down. You are then, then you're down in the sewer yeah. area. You're like, I'm at the bottom. And it's like, both of my no. parents don't have noses. Ugh. Um, so he's sent to San Francisco to be raised by his maternal grandmother, who is a devout Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. So he's got, uh, a fun and damaging, um, childhood from a Bible thumping old lady grandmother. Um, he was said that he, it said he was already a quiet, morbid kid with a violent temper. Mm. But then, and he was expelled from school at age seven for, um, being incorrigible. <laughs> age seven. That sounds um, cute. Incorrigible. Yeah. <laughs> What's his name again? Earl. Earl, you're incorrigible. Earl. Um, but he then at age 10 is hit by a streetcar <gasps> while riding his bicycle. He has a, um, a head injury. Oh. He's in a coma for six days. Jesus. And when he wakes up, his behavior becomes even more erratic. Uh, he begins suffering from frequent headaches, memory loss, and eventually migraines. Oh, Jesus. Um, so now his moody and ang- um, his moody, angry, um, periods are broken up by periods of mania in which he takes to walking on his hands or lifting heavy chairs with his teeth. <laughs> uh, can you imagine if you saw a fucking 11 year old lifting a fucking chair with a fucking, his fucking teeth? A little 11 year old where you're like, Earl, please put that down. Earl, sit down and eat Earl, your dinner. Eat your peanut butter sandwich. You don't need to do that with the chair anymore. This oh. is also back when everything was made of solid wood. 
It's a fucking oak chair. Oh, oh. He's picking it up with his teeth because he's like, I got to get this out of me. Oh, God. Okay. Um, so it's quoted as saying, this is my favorite quote on Murderpedia about him. As a young man, Nelson was a daydreamer and a compulsive masturbator. <laughs> <laughs> you have to pick one of those. You can't be both. I think they go together nicely because it's mean, like whistling, hands in pockets. What is the nightmare equivalent of a daydream um a chronic masturbator (laughs) we both had the answer um also 80 percent of most serial killers are chronic masturbators as children Hmm. that's one of those that's one of those uh harold schecter um look out for this red flag things um as a team he was a regular at the bars and brothels of the barbary coast which was like the red like district of turn of the century San Francisco when he was 18 he broke into a cabin that he thought was abandoned and he was arrested and spent two years in San Quentin for it fuck can you imagine being a teenager in San Quentin it, I bet it wasn't that cool no um so he enlists in the Navy he gets kicked out uh for behaving oddly and erratically he actually was he was because it was World War one he enlisted in and got kicked out of the military four times holy shit um and he just kept signing up under a different name and they would take him because it was like active yeah. duty they needed people and you're like you're too crazy to go to the front lines yeah we're we're getting our asses kicked over like in, over there and you still can't come <laughs> yeah um and just be a bullet catcher so he this the last time he was in he was in the navy and he got kicked out because he refused to do anything but lie on his cot and rant about the the great beast of revelation so he was just a crazy bible thumper um and he ends up (laughs) oh i said he refused to do anything but lie on his cot and rant about the great beast of revelation aka dreamster baiting (laughs) Dreamster baiting. Um, that's what it is. That's what it is. So they commit him to Napa State Hospital, which was a very famous mental insane asylum in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Um, it was there that it was discovered he had both gonorrhea and syphilis. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Dude, you, I mean, this isn't, your brain has no chance at this point getting hit by a fucking car. You probably got, were born with syphilis. Yeah. These things eat your brain. His brain was just never not inflamed. I, That's mean, I what almost the... feel bad for this guy yes. until I probably find out what he does. Yeah, you won't feel bad later. Okay. But you can definitely feel bad for 10-year-old yeah. Earl because he did not have it good. He was <laughs> There's a reason he was picking up chairs with his teeth. Mm. So he managed to escape three times from Napa State Hospital before the staff just stopped trying to find him, mm. which is the opposite of the three, three strikes law. Um, so he, he goes back after the third time he escapes, he goes back, lives with his aunt again in San Francisco. His aunt gets him a job as a janitor at St. Mary's hospital. St. Mary's hospital is where my aunt Mary Mm. works full circle. Oh my God. He's your brother. The end. Um, okay. So there at St. Mary's hospital, he meets and marries 58 year old spinster, Mary Martin. He's 24. Ooh, Mary. Uh huh. She's very shy and reclusive. Aww. And um he and obviously an old maid. Here yeah. comes Earl. Fifty-eight year old old and she's an old maid. Well, yeah. I mean fifty-eight. <laughs> Sorry. As a forty-seven year old, I'm gonna say, yeah. Maybe she's single as fuck. Maybe she's not an old maid. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um 
Well, also, this was back when you were supposed to get married when you were 14. Right. And have six kids by the time you were 20. Right. So she was way out of the window of possibility. Just kind of standing around St. Mary's Hospital, staring out the window, pulling her sweater across her. (laughs) Waiting for a 24-year-old psychopath to save her. (laughs) And then he shows up. And then it comes. There he is, Earl. Um, So he turns out she's very shy and reclusive. He makes her life a living hell. He is insanely jealous. He refuses to bathe. He has terrible manners and an insatiable sex drive. What was their date? Their like dating life like? The two of them, I think they whatever Brief. the equivalent of the trials of Nuremberg. <laughs> they went to see that every fucking weekend, right? Right. Also, Earl um, has terrible migraine attacks that sometimes leave him unable to walk. And one time during one of those attacks, he falls from a ladder at work and hits his head. Fucking fuck. Come on. Double head trauma. They don't cancel each other out? <laughs> no. Now he's really nice. <laughs> That's awesome. That would be amazing. He not got knocked back into place. And, um, oh, no. And he just started working for Habitat for Humanity. <laughs> Just he was like the chillest bro at the beach after that. And that's the end of the story. Oh my god! And then she went on to kill people. Um, right? Oh, I just really quickly have to say, total sidebar, but talking about chill bros at the beach. So Riz Ahmed, Ugh. of course, is on my DVR recording, and so I finally brought myself to watch the episode of Girls that he's in. Did you watch it? I've, I'm, I love the show. I'm caught up. Okay, he's in two episodes. Yes. Yeah. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Him and Lena Dunham's character getting together. I'm just, I all I have to say is I'm really mad. Why? I'm really fucking, first of all, why? Like she's. Cause she wanted to make out, cause Lena Dunham wanted to fucking make out with Rizal Med. Yeah, clearly. she made it happen. Mm-hmm. She was just like nonstop power eye contact. And maybe less attracted to him because Be- I don't like scrawny guys. Huh. And he's scrawny. It made me love him 10 times more than I already did because I was like, it was like as if that was not a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would you pick her? Why didn't you pick me? I wasn't at that beach <laughs> or that beach party. I didn't see you rapping. Yeah. I wasn't there to make it happen. And if I were there, I would have never been anywhere near you. Yeah. Not have talked to you. You and wouldn't would have, have had early. The, the like balls to be like, that guy is going to want to fuck me. I'm going to go talk to him. That's right. I wouldn't. Well, have. that's what I love. I mean, fuck. I love that about her. I do too. It's just, I, it was never I even a her. question about him wanting to fuck her. Like, I know. 
Which it's I just love. like this is happening. Yeah. I'm making it happen. This is the guy that's gonna fuck me now. Which actually does happen often. Yeah, but the thing, I I agree with all of that. But I was just like, oh, he's too scrawny. Oh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> you I'm mad now. Him. I'm mad at you and her. <laughs> all right. I should have never gone into that area. Okay, but, sidebar. But it hurt me deeply, and I was surprised because I was like, what? I don't give a shit. And I knew what the plot was. He was such a stupid stoner. It was so great. I know, but I love that. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, listen, here's what I'm telling you. <laughs> he fucking falls off a ladder because of a migraine, mm. double down head trauma. Oof. Be- he leaves the hospital after two days because he won't stay there anymore. Head wrapped in bandages. So he's just running around on the street like a lunatic with a head wound. Like fucking Frankenstein. Yes. And he goes back home. Now he's more paranoid and violent with his wife. Oh, she's and, like, come a fuck on. Yeah. She's like, this was already weird. I already doubted it, but I did it anyway. Yeah. Now you're, now I can't talk to my own brother without you freaking out. Like she, he oh would literally God. get jealous if she talked to her brother and she's 60. <laughs> um, so one of the articles I read said that she had a nervous breakdown because of him, but there just one. Either way, she divorces him within six months of them being married. Wow. And although then I wrote, although I like that he was way into older ladies, it gives me hope. <laughs> oh my God, Karen. Sometimes I have fun as I write these things. Um, all right. No, so you're then you're going to get a sweet young thing like Riz Ahmed. That's right. But not, not in his twenties. Doesn't pick shit up with his teeth. No. I thought you were trying to, yeah. Definitely a stoner. Yes. Someone chill. <laughs> Um, with eyes that take up two thirds of his head. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, in 1921, he turns from burglary to sex crimes. He attempts to molest 12 year old Mary Nelson after seeing her playing in her basement and then deciding to pose as the gas man. So he sees a little girl playing in a basement, knocks on the door, says he's the, from the gas company. Her older brother, who's like in his early 20s, I think, lets him in. He goes straight down to the basement mm. and immediately attacks her. She fights him off, screaming. The brother hears, runs downstairs, goes to fight him. He he like squirms past the brother, runs outside. The brother follows him, runs after. They fight in the street. Oh my God. And then Earl punches this kid in the head <gasps> and gets away. Oh no, head she- injury. <laughs> New head injury. Um, two hours later, Earl is picked up riding a trolley car. He's just like around, he's in the neighborhood. He's like, let's go some sightseeing. Yeah. He's like, where's that super crooked street I've heard so much about? (laughs) Um, That night in jail, he plucks out all of his eyebrows with his fingernails. Yes. So he's already a creep. Now he has no eyebrows. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He's recommitted back to Napa State Hospital and stays there for four years. So then he's released. And then I wrote, what do you think happens next? A, he gets a job as an accountant, lives a productive life and molestation free life. B, he dreams to race his way into an early grave. Or C, the killings begin. I'm going to go with C. Yeah. The killings begin in 1926. So on February 20th, 60-year-old Clara Newman answers the front door to a man inquiring about her rooms to let sign in her front window. The man tells her his name is Virgil Wilson. He's carrying a worn Bible and he's very polite. Clara Mm. brings him up to the room she's renting and there he turns from kindly Bible lover to pure animal and strangles her to death. He rapes her dead body, leaves her dress bunched up around her waist and leaves. 
Um, on his way out, Clara's nephew sees the man in the front hall. He asks what the man is doing there. And the man says, tell your aunt, I want to rent the room. I'll be back in an hour. So the nephew goes back to his books and they don't discover the body until in the attic room until that night. Oh my God. Two weeks later, um, he kills Laura Beale in San Jose in the exact same way. She is a landlady that's renting out a room. He comes holding a Bible. It seems so easy. Yes. And being like, I'm interested in your room. Um, at this time, the difference is he uses a belt to strangle her to death. And she's found in the uh, rental room naked from the waist down. Um, so th- then three months pass. And then Earl's cross-country killing spree starts. So he basically does the exact same thing over and over. Like he'll kill a woman who's let who's letting a room. And then he like either stays in the city and does it again, or he jumps on a train and does it in a different city. So he does it everywhere. So on June 10th, he kills Lillian St. Mary, who is 63 years old in San Francisco. On June 24th, he kills Anna Russell, who's 58 in Santa Barbara. Then he goes back up to Oakland and he kills Mary Nesbitt on August 16th. Um, uh, on October 19th, 1926, this is all 1926, he mm-hmm. kills um, Beatrice Withers in Portland. She's only 35 mm. and her body was stuffed into a trunk. Um, then the next day he kills Virginia Grant, who's 59 in Portland. Her body is stuffed behind the furnace in her basement on October 21st, the day after that in Portland, he kills Mabel Fluke and she's hidden in the attic in the crawl space in the attic. What'd you say? Jesus. Oh, oh, uh, sorry. I thought you were asking a question on November 15th. He kills Blanche Myers, who's 48 years old in Oregon city, November 18th. Uh, Wilhelmina Edmonds, uh, 56, back down in San Francisco, then back up in Seattle. On November 24th, he kills Florence Monks. And then um, the next day, oh no, sorry, a month later, he kills Elizabeth Beard in Council Bluffs. Um, so he's clearly hopped a train. Um, then he's in Kansas City on uh later in december but somewhere between december 23rd and 28th he kills bonnie pace in kansas city jesus fucking christ yep on on december 28th he in kansas city he kills 28 year old germania harpin and her eight month old baby (sighs) Uh uh-huh he's on a serious fucking spree then he goes quiet for months and then on April 27th of 1927 in Philadelphia, which is where he was from originally, mm-hmm. where his parents, the syphilitic super couple, uh, <laughs> are <laughs> there from Philadelphia. Um, he goes back there and kills Mary McConnell. She's 60 years old. Um, then he, uh, gets somehow to Buffalo. And on May 30th, he kills Jenny Randolph, who's 35. Then he goes goes to Detroit. Jesus. And on June 1st, um, 1927, he kills Minnie May and uh, a lodger in that same house, Mrs. Antwerp. They don't know how old she is, but she sounds old to me. Um, and two days later in Chicago, he kills Mary Siestema. Siesima, sorry, who's 27 years old. So by this time, he knows the cops are after him. Oh, they are. 
Um, he's, I mean, he's just on like a killing spree. And they know it's one dude doing all of this. Yes. And the people, cause these are, a lot of these are boarding houses. Right. So there's other eyewitnesses in the boarding right. house, not just the lady who shows him the room. Sure. So he crosses the border up into Winnipeg to get away from the cops. Um, and he rents a room there on June 8th. My birthday. Uh, what? My birthday. Oh. <laughs> that at the live show too i can't help it it's the best how can you not uh he actually was born <laughs> it, i completely relate because um earl was born on may 12th and i was born on may 11th so i was like oh day after <laughs> but is, then yeah it's him all right so he crosses the border into winnipeg rents a room and on june 8th he strangles 14 year old oh. Lola Cowan, who is selling paper flowers door to door oh, honey. to help her poor, very impoverished family. Fuck. He stuffs her body under the bed, leaves that boarding house. And the next day he's wandering around the same neighborhood in Winnipeg and he sees Emily Patterson, who's 35, cleaning her house. And he somehow gets himself inside her house. He strangles he strangles her to death, rapes and mutilates her dead body and stuffs her under the bed um, and leaves without being seen. So she's reported missing by her husband. And that night when her husband goes to go to sleep, mm -mm. he kneels down next to the bed to pray for strength and to pray to find his wife. Mm -mm. And when he goes to stand up, his leg catches the bedspread and he looks down and sees his wife's wool sweater sticking out mm -mm. from underneath the bed. Mm -mm. So he reaches underneath it and touches the dead body of his dead mutilated wife. Oh my God. If I didn't say dead so many times, that would have been a really well told <laughs> kind of build up. Well, that's this podcast. I mean, that's, <laughs> is not who we really are deep down. Dead, dead, dead. So, um, by the time Mr. Patterson calls the police and says that he has found his wife, the body of Lola Cowan has also been found. Um, and the same morning of Mrs. Patterson's murder, um, Earl left the house, went down, sold his clothes at a secondhand store, took the money um, that he got for those clothes and goes down to a barber to get a shave. And when he sat in the chair, the barber had noticed that Earl had blood in his hair. Ooh. So when the story of these murders comes out, the barber goes to the police and tells the story, gives the description, as does um, all of the people that live in the boarding house um, where Lola Cowan's body was found. Because there's mm -hmm. all kinds of people that saw that guy who stayed in that room. Sure. Um, so at this point, between the barber's description, the eyewitness accounts from the other boarding house, Earl Nelson's likeness is distributed across every province and border town in Canada, and there's a $1,500 reward posted for his capture. Um, and Earl is arrested hopping onto a train. So here's the thing. He is a master escape artist. So once again, he escapes from no. jail. Yes, he's... he. He can pick any lock. So they had taken his shoes, socks, and belt when they put him into the jail cell. So he escapes with none of those things. And that night he finds a barn. He hides in the barn. And in this barn, he finds an old moth-eaten sweater and a pair of ice skates. What? So he pulls the blades off the ice skates and makes the ice skates into shoes. Oh, my God. Because he doesn't have any shoes. <laughs> Which, you love I just, it. I fucking love it. So, because he's... 
crazy. So then he goes when the next morning he leaves that barn and just goes fucking walking out and he ends up bubbing a cigarette from a guy and chatting with him for a while because he doesn't think he can get caught because he's now been murdering women for a fucking year straight. Yeah. And he's standing around smoking and chatting in ice skate shoes. (laughs) And the guy's like, what up, crazy? And calls the cops. (laughs) Yeah. Can you just what if someone you knew just showed up in ice skate shoes (laughs) to a party? Also, was like he pulls the blades out. So was he walking on? Was still yeah. was there like that one rim down at the bottom? And there or? were no. There's no way they were his size. Yes. Like what are the chances of finding like a size ten fucking ice skate his shoes? Perfect ice skate shoes. No. No. Just imagine. I just want a picture of friend clomping over. He's just. He's he's like. He's walking down a gravel road yeah. in ice skate shoes. Perfect. Earl, you fucking idiot. All right. Become an accountant, you dumbass. <laughs> dumbass. So, um, so that this smoking guy, of course, alerts the authorities. Earl's recaptured. He's taken back into custody. He's tried. Uh, he's, after less than an hour of deliberation, convicted of Emily Patterson and Lola Cowan's murders, and he's sentenced to hang in Winnipeg on January 13th, 1928. One report said he struggled for 11 minutes before he died uh, uh, with that hanging. But then another said he died instantaneously and then made a very specific note of saying how how why people would die, um, take too long to die if the rope was too short. I think they would do that a lot for people purpose. they wanted to suffer. Yeah. Really? Because what you want to happen when you hang someone is for their neck to break. Yeah. But if you it's too short, right? And they fall... Their neck doesn't break. They just slowly fucking choke to death. Yeah. Sounds horrifying. Yeah. Either so, way. Or if it's too long, it's they're like the snap doesn't happen. Right. I don't You know, if something happens then this happens and if another, and but it there's sucks. A, there's a choice you can make as the rope length decider. Yeah. You're not new. It's not your first day. Yeah. And this guy, uh, by the time they catch him and know who he is and what his, uh, history as the dark strangler gorilla killer uh, is they're like I don't know maybe make that thing seven feet long do you know they did that in Nuremberg when they uh, killed a bunch of the ex-Nazis they made they gave them lo- the long rope they special they gave some of them they purposely gave some you know 15 minutes of choking to death <sighs> yeah I mean I watch Nuremberg movies too. <laughs> and on your your Vince's first date? On our first date. I knew it. I knew you two were up to no good. Um, Earl is suspected of more murders that didn't fit the gorilla killer, dark strangler MO because of those two ki- cooling off periods. So yeah. after his first two murders, there were three months before that spree started. And they think that he killed other women, just not either not old or not landladies, that or not way, strangled. Yeah. I'm dying to know what he looks like. What you his can personality was like. He's he Is looked, he stupid. He must have been stupid because he hit his head a couple times, right? I mean, I don't. They just said he was scary. His family members were scared of him, uh-huh. and that that um, aunt that he would go back and live with. They were like, they said he was like a big kid, oh, and he was wow. a big violent kid, so he kind of couldn't be reasoned with. Yeah. So they just did whatever he wanted and hoped he would leave. Jesus. Was what the aunt said. So uh, the family was just totally scared of him. So apparently wow. he was just super violent and weird as fuck. Aggressive. And there's actually a really good story of the aunt that time when he um, got out of jail, escaped from mm-hmm. Napa, 
State Mental Hospital, he showed up at her window <gasps> one night as it was raining. No. And she said he turned, she turned around and saw, she said his eyes were black and he had a really weird hat on and he was just staring <laughs> through the window in the rain and it scared the living shit out of her. Yeah. So she let him in, but she basically convinced him, you better leave because they're going to come here first yeah. to look for you. And she just got him to leave as soon as possible. Can you imagine like it scared her? And then even when she realized she knew who it was, she was still scared out of her fucking mind. It's not like, oh, okay, it's just you. Yeah. It's no. like, oh, fuck, it's you. Oh, fuck, it's you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, yeah. So he's could possibly, I think they said between 20 and 26 confirmed victims, but they think there could be many more because he was also yeah. all across the nation totally. and up into Canada. And uh, Harold Schechter, who's wrote so, written so many great true crime books, mm -hmm. um, there's a book he wrote called Bestial that he where he talks about um, Earl. Wow. Earl Leonard Nelson, the that's gorilla killer. Amazing. I've never fucking heard of that. Me either. And that's huge. Yeah. The he first really... sexual serial killer. Yeah. I mean, in America. Right. Okay. Is just because I thought the same thing where there was that guy, uh, Peter Curtin in Germany. Mm. There's a couple other ones, but this guy was like the first one they think America, they know of right. in America. That's a lot of fucking people. Yeah. Dude. A lot of old ladies just trying to rent a room. Oh, man. <laughs> uh well thank you <laughs> no thank you should we say a, a thing we like uh yeah let me think if i have anything <laughs> didn't you say you were watching a show you really like yeah but i can't find the name of it oh. was it um fiction or non-fiction it was non-fiction it was like different kind of deaths it's really cool, but I can't remember. I'll find out for next week. Okay. What about you? You, th you say something and I'll think of something. Oh, okay. Um, fuck. <laughs> well, um, I'll say this. When we were in Portland, I got to hang out with my friend Stacy, who you met, mm -hmm. and who is the greatest. She runs a place called Curious Comedy Theater in Portland. If you live there, um, they have improv shows there they have stand-up shows there lots of cool stand-ups perform there i think ron lynch is going to be there next yeah, cool. she books really That's awesome so people funny. and it, we just had a really great time hanging out and uh it made my visit in portland it's just nice to have friends and that and stacy and my friend jason lopez who i um have known since i was 20 we used to work at the gap together we used to get, get drunk cool. in the castro together he's one of my oldest friends and he was there um both nights yeah. actually i love that well i can't okay well i guess mine is similar in that like this is the first time vince came with me on a weekend tour and it was just like I, it just meant so much to me to have him there and have his support and just like hang out with him and Fuck, man, I'm so, I'm just blown away by him and I just want him to come with us all the time. And he has to come with us. It all was the time. so great. And I've, I just love having him around. I do too. My husband <laughs> probably should, but, <laughs> but that, yeah, it was a really awesome experience having him there. And you know how much fucking travel anxiety I have and how much I hate leaving the house and how scared I get and how worried I get. And having him there just kind of alleviated all of it except missing the cats, but yeah. it alleviated all of it and it made it such a fun time for me in instead of like an anxious scary time yeah you were free to kind of just have your fun and do do it yeah instead of i think i mean i don't it's not like you seemed insanely different than any other time yeah. but but it is nice to know that then 
you don't have all those worries on your shoulders. And yeah. You can just kind of have fun. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, yes, I'm codependent, but <laughs> so what? It, it works for me. So. Lots of people are. Yeah. Also, that's not codependent. You just have a great husband that yeah. you're grateful for. My therapist says it's not codependency, it's interdependency. And if it works for you, it's fine. I like interdependency. Isn't that nice? I want a slice of interdependency. Interdependency is good. Yeah. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's the best. Okay. He really is. Yeah. He's, I feel similar to him that you do. <laughs> I hope not. I might as well but tell I you like now. That you guys get along so well. It's cool to go in the other room and to get ready and hear you guys cracking up. And yes. I, I dig it. Well, also, he just knows his shit too. He's has so much experience in performing. He has experience in merch sales. He has yeah, experience in everything. He does. He's smart. Vince Averill, he's the, um, he's got a podcast called We Watch Wrestling. Yeah, get into it if you watch wrestling or want to. (laughs) Um, Yay. Yay. That's happy. That's a good one. Other people. (laughs) Yay. Making us happy. Yeah, we like people. And and thank you to everyone who came to those Portland shows. We had such a great time. We got so many good presents. Thank you for coming to say hi after. Can we say that someone made uh, catnip toys of fucking a bunch of serial killers yes and they're incredible and i'm gonna put them on our instagram and i'm not giving them to the cats because they're just so fucking cool yeah those I are keepers can't get yeah they're incredible um i think that it's not the same person but i also got a couple of dog toys that were they were slip little mini slippers oh my God. a neon green mini slipper and a hot pink and george and frank have already destroyed both of Yay. them they were very excited to get them <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I am. Um, oh, you guys are the greatest. Yes, thank uh, you so much. Thank you so much for listening and everything, and you're the best. And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Bye. Bye. <laughs>